Welcome to the Off Ramps podcast. I'm your host and co-founder of the Off Ramp, Kristen. We know what it's like to feel helpless when faced with the magnitude of the world's problems. You want to do something about it, but don't know how or where to start. Well, that's why we're here. At the Off Ramp, our goal is twofold. First, to keep you informed about the ongoings in immigration, migration, and global affairs. And second, to connect you with opportunities to make a real difference in the lives of forcibly displaced people both near and far. Practical and positive change is possible. Let's work together to make it happen. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Off Ramps podcast. It's been about a month since we checked in with you last. And similar to last time, if you didn't catch that episode, we want to break this down a little bit differently. We are trying a new format in which we offer you a little bit of insight in the the world of immigration and migration, a little bit of insight into our world at the off-ramp and what's going on here. And then we will, of course, get to the interview with our special guest. And this week, um, she is, in fact, quite special to me personally. Does that sound like a plan to you, Mom? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Well, I want to share a few news updates with you, and I want to start with a report that the UNHCR, which is the United Nations Refugee Agency, released in February. So it basically had the goal of showing the pandemic's effects on jobs, incomes, food security, and more across the globe. It basically collated statistics from numerous sources to shed light on the effects of the pandemic on poor and vulnerable populations, which of course include refugees. What they discovered is that job losses and truly evaporating incomes are forcing vulnerable households, including those among displaced communities, to resort to negative ways of coping, such as cutting meals, increasing debts, selling assets, or cutting short their children's education. And unfortunately, even though we have a vaccine, it really doesn't look like the effects of the pandemic will soon be over for the most vulnerable among us. With incomes drying up and food systems disrupted by COVID-19, the scale and impact of food insecurity especially is expected to increase. Mom, when I read this, it reminded me of a conversation that I had with another one of our podcast guests, Stacey Hollingsworth, um, who's also a dear family friend. She is, I think it's either today or tomorrow, headed back to Kenya, where she works uh, with the Esther Project shop in the slums there in Nairobi. And one of the things that she was anticipating needing to do is working with new arrivals at an orphanage. Uh, They've partnered with this orphanage in the past, but essentially the increase in child trafficking has grown past their ability to manage it. Um, And in fact, a number of the young girls, and when I say young, several of them are just 11 years old, a number of the young girls are arriving impregnated and they can't take in children of children um, at this particular orphanage. So these were things that she was planning on needing to to address and solutions she was trying to, uh, to come up with. 
Can you talk a little bit about how things like food insecurity affect trafficking and why we're seeing that rise in child trafficking, particularly in places like Kenya? So, you know, this really isn't new. Um, this is something that we were bringing up, um, particularly at the height of the Syrian crisis. Um, but even before that, in the area of child trafficking, in some of these populations where um, they are just living in so much peril um, and so many um, crises to overcome, many times families don't see another way to survive than to sell their children. Um, we have seen it in some areas in Asia, and, but when we noticed it particularly among refugees, or I should say more when I noticed it particularly among refugees, uh, was the Syrian crisis. When um, you just had so many people fleeing the war and persecution in Syria, um, you saw many Syrian families finding no way to gain food, clothing, and shelter, except to sell their daughters um, as child brides um, to people who would who could pay significantly for them. Um, this is also something that's happened off and on um, as we've had various economic crises. So even though I had not heard particularly what was happening in Kenya until we talked to Stacy, I really wasn't surprised to hear that it was happening. Um, I was just reading some reports of some of the things that are happening from pe with people who are migrating um, from parts of Central America and up through Mexico, um, and the types of trafficking that's happening among these folks. When you have no other commodity, the body becomes a commodity. And sometimes either you sell it out yourself so that you can survive or somebody sells it, sells your body for you. Yeah, it's hard, you know, as I sit here, still full from my lunch with, you know, various computer and tech, technological devices in front of me with every need met and more than met. It's hard for me to wrap my head around a, being in a position where I'm that desperate, but that is the reality of so many people around the world and COVID is just making it worse. Well, I think that's the part that we really need to zero in on here. I mean, these are already situations where you have um, serious war, threats of war, conflict, persecution, um, economic insecurity, and then boom, COVID. And just it, as we just wrap our minds around the, the, just the lack of ability to transport goods, the numbers of people who have lost jobs, um, the inability to be mobile um, in order to, to, you know, to gain and to seek your livelihood, you took what was already really bad and forcing displacement and adding a layer on it, unlike anything we have ever seen, um, you know, in, the, in two or three generations. So while maybe when COVID first happened, it didn't immediately spring to our mind, oh, this is gonna make human trafficking that much worse. This is gonna make the refugee crisis that much worse. Um, in reality, um, it could have only gotten worse. Another thing to remember in particular about the refugee crisis is 
These are people who have already lingered. People that we are saying need to be resettled are not people who are already resettled refugees. They are people who are in camps or who are in asylum, uh, places that have provided them asylum until a permanent place can be found for them. So they were already lingering. They were already waiting. Most, I think it's something like 84 million of our refugees or 84%, I said million, excuse me, something like 84% of our refugees are actually in economically depressed countries. So here are countries who already don't have enough resources and they are caring for these refugees. Now you've added COVID on top of that. You see, we have layer upon layer upon layer of urgent need. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why they find themselves in a place where, um, yes, as quickly as possible and as quickly as we can get a grip on COVID, um, we need to find permanent homes for these folks. Mm -hmm. I do want to share a little bit of good news, kind of switching gears. Earlier in February, President Biden issued an executive order to increase refugee admissions and allow the U.S. to set a goal of providing a safe haven to 125,000 people around the world who are fleeing violence, conflict, and persecution. So that 125,000 is for his first full fiscal year in office. I don't have that here in my notes, but I'm pretty sure that starts officially in October of this year. In comparison, just to give you a little bit of context, the United United States only allocated a historically low 15,000 spots in 2020. The week before Biden made this announcement, the United Nations Refugee Agency reported that countries around the globe received fewer than 23,000 refugees in 2020, the lowest number in nearly two decades, which of course was in part, as we've just spoken about, due to travel restrictions during the pandemic. Exactly. exactly. The agency said that out of the more than 20 million refugees that it is assisting directly, 1.44 million are really in urgent need of resettlement. Uh, a little bit more good news coming from the border, um, the border areas between Mexico and the United States is that the U.S. is beginning to admit asylum seekers once more. Some of these asylum seekers have been waiting for as long as two years, as you just mentioned, in places that are not meant for them to be there that long. Despite the freezing temperatures at the end of February, which you know was in the news for many, many days, many asylum seekers staying in tents on the border actually turned down offers to be transferred to city shelters because they feared that they were going to lose their chance to be allowed to cross into the United States. That is how desperate and urgent their situation is, that they would risk their own health and safety in um, below freezing temperatures just be out of fear that they might not get that chance for a new life. Uh, the work of the UNHCR right now is really to identify the most vulnerable and those who've been waiting the longest to reactivate their asylum cases. And then uh, something else that I found that I thought was really interesting um, and, and heartbreaking, unfortunately, are reports that indicate that the number of migrants and asylum seekers that are crossing into Mexico from Guatemala is actually on the rise, even as shelters along that route have had to reduce their bed space because of COVID. So that's actually resulting in many more who are turned away from these shelters and they're needing, they're having to sleep in the streets and of course are then exposed to rain and cold. You've been to the border between Mexico and, um, and the United States, mom, you've seen some of these shelters, you've interacted with those who work in them. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience at the border and how, how it's been affected recently? 
Well, first I should say um, that different areas of the border are handling the situation different. Um, the, <clears throat> so the parts of the border that I have been to are crossing over in Laredo and Nuevo Laredo and uh, El Paso and crossing over into Juarez. Um, and of course, I worked with our partners who are in those areas. And let me just say that I'm extremely impressed with those particular areas. Um, the men and women who are leading out in this work um, have a genuine care and concern. Um, their organizational skills are amazing, um, especially when COVID came along. I thought, oh my goodness, how are they going to manage this? Um, but, you know, they, they instituted all of the necessary protocols. Um, they, one of the things that did particularly bother me when, the, uh, when this cold snap came through, though, um, was to hear about the temperatures because um, we had seen some shelters. We were there in January a year ago, and some of those shelters were really cold. So I couldn't imagine how bad it would be with this cold front coming through. Uh, but amazingly, El Paso and Juarez were the areas that um, kept power. So that was, I thought, well, okay, they, they've got some heat. Um, but I've been very impressed with their organization. Another thing that has impressed me in that area is the ability of our nonprofit leaders and our church leaders to work in hand in hand with the government um, agencies and officials so that they can be as effective as is absolutely possible. Yes, you still have people in tents. Yes, you still have people on the road. Yes, you still have people on the streets. And I'm certainly not minimizing um, the desperateness of that. Um, but the willingness of the people to do what they needed to do to keep things in good running shape, um, to keep everybody safe, um, and then when COVID came along to follow CDC protocols. Um, in fact, you may recall this uh, podcast, one of our leaders, <clears throat> one of our pastors, who are one of our partners, he fell sick with COVID, but nobody in his shelters did. <laughs> so, um, so I find it encouraging on some levels. <clears throat> we need to remember that what they're saying is not we're going to throw open the door and floods of people are just gonna come into the United States. Um, this is a process that's going to be done orderly, um, that's going to be done as fairly as is absolutely possible. Um, and it's gonna be very much a case by case basis. Um, uh, just because you apply for asylum does not mean you will be granted asylum. Um, what it does change is this extremely long waiting period um, before your case is heard and before you can get moved and fixed in a more permanent place where you are safe, secure, and have the possibility of a future. Let me also say that just because you are granted um, the possibility of asylum and you may enter the United States with that possibility, that does not mean your asylum case has been heard and that you will be granted asylum. So this is a long process, right? It's not saying that overnight, the doors are gonna open up and people are gonna come flooding in. Um, and I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that or we can let apprehension overtake us. Thank you for that, mom. 
that's all we had in terms of news today. But did you want to fill people in a little bit on what's going on with the off ramp and maybe how we've progressed over the last month since we we last tuned in? So we are entering um, the final phases of our cohort with the Lepton Center. We have managed to really delve into what our stakeholders um, shared with us through the survey. We were able to come up with our priorities. We are now in not only the implementation uh, part of our plan, uh, but we are also now beginning a close examination of all of our team members and stakeholders to say, okay, what do each of us need to be looking at in order to take our organization to the next level? I find that to be an exciting process. I think we're gonna be a better organization because of it. The other thing is we did decide because of COVID, because of our move to the East Coast, um, that we were going to be slow in introducing um, new projects and participants. Well, the two we have coming up aren't really new, but they might be new to our listeners. Um, if you follow Threads by Nomad, you are familiar with the Master's Handicrafts. Um, we're going to be engaging with them on a little bit more formal level for some product development and some marketing. And in just a little bit, you're going to be hearing from uh, Lupe and you will remember having her soaps at Christmas time. Um, and we'll be entering into a more formal engagement with her uh, to help her with product development and marketing as well. So those are two new things. And that's where we are on our really major focus uh, during this time of COVID. All right, well with that, speaking of Lupe, let's chat with Lupe. We are back with my friend Lupe. Uh, I am so excited to introduce you to uh, introduce her to you today. This conversation has been in the works for a while now, and we have some fun things to announce. You may know her as the person who makes the soaps that we sell at ThreadsByNomad.com. We launched them right before the holidays, and they were a wild success. Lupe is uh, someone I met. I think about. Three years ago, is that right, Lupe? About three years that, ago? Yes, that's right, three okay. years ago. So we met three years ago. I was working in a retail environment and she got a part-time job at the same establishment and we just really connected. She is an incredibly warm and giving and kind person. Her, She just exudes warmth and personal, uh, sort of personableness, if that's a word. Um, and, and so I was immediately drawn to her. And after a series of, of sort of more intimate conversations, I realized that her story was a really important one. And we've stayed in touch over the years. Uh, and like I said, we, we started selling her soaps back in December. And now we are looking to work with her a little bit more formally at the off-ramp. Didn't we actually do a short stint of selling her soaps a couple of years ago, not long after Thread started? And she first launched her threat, her soap line. Yes, I totally and, forgot and then, about that. Yeah, and then and then you know she was perfecting her line, and so we we 
off it for a while until she got to where she wanted to be. Now we've picked it back up. Yes. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot about that. We actually carried some of your soaps right around three years ago when we first met. I totally forgot about that. Um, well, thank you for reminding me. I, Lupe, I, I kind of want to give you the floor. I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you came to making soap. Well, first, thank you for allowing me to be here with all of you and all the people who listen to uh, your postcard. And uh, well, this came because I have been working with the, in my for my country. I worked as a diplomat 24 years of my life, but suddenly I faced the reality that in my country, the situation was against what I believe. So I took the hard decision to turn everything to the front to the window and says, well, I need to stand and it and for my belief and I need to go out of my country. But in that moment, when I leave the, the, the foreign office, I open an, uh, a business of the soap making. In that business, uh, it's soap, but glycerin soap. Soap, uh, scrub, uh, oil, moisturizer, uh, creams, body creams, different kind of things. And we can be so successful with the business. But suddenly, again, the economic uh, situation of my country, the control, the lack of product, the lack of electricity, lack of security, make me to think, I cannot no invest more money. I need to take my luggage and leave. Even the day that we arrived to this country, uh, November 7, November 17 of November 2017, I arrived here full of dreams, full of of, of, of hope, but full of sadness as well because I left there my home, my house, my mom, my brothers, and knowing that they are going to have struggling there. So that is a kind of mixed feeling that I came here even. And during that time, I divorced, but I met a wonderful uh, man that uh, he says, if you go, I go with you. And he came here and we married here in the United States. So this is uh, has been the most uh, changing period of my life in all uh, on all the aspects. Yeah, that's a lot of change in a very short period of time. Uh, can you tell people where you're from? I'm from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Okay. You just you said your country, so I thought we might fill them in on what your country is. Oh, uh, sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, so, you know, kind of backtracking a little bit, you're in Venezuela. You realize that you really can't represent a government that is uh, yes. itself representing things that you don't believe in, and yeah. you decide to launch this business. Why skincare? What drove you to, to move from diplomacy to a skincare business? Well, that's again, it's a change of life. I remember one day, I, uh, you know, the Facebook and the, all the social media post people that you remember or you met when you on your childhood. So 
suddenly I read an article in the, on, the, on the news, on the social media, that a friend of mine for, of my childhood was selling soap in a, in a uh, market, in the farm market. So that day, when I decide to quit, I feel so sad, but I don't want to go to my home. I say, okay, let's go to this uh, farmer market. And I met, uh, try to be happy to find, uh, to meet an old friend from my, my early years. So she, I went there, I met her. Uh, I, I met her, no, I, I reunited with her. <laughs> and she says, oh, what are you doing? So I, today I quit my job after 24 years. I just dropped all my career. And I and she she come for me and she says, Oh, listen, you can come to my my company to to learn and to find a place to be relaxed. Mm -hmm. And then I went there and I feel so amazing, so in peace, in balance. And I returned the energy that I lost in that moment. Wow. So that's why I I asked her to if I, we can be partner. And mm. she said, sure. And I that's why I entered in that business. Because I think like like uh, we don't know the reason of the things happening, but God knows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think in that day I have a friend that I haven't seen for more than 25 years and suddenly coming from nowhere. I decided to go to the farmer market to meet somebody, to go to look for somebody I haven't seen for 24 years. Wow. That's an amazing story. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Uh, and it is incredible how even in those moments of a real despair, you know, there is a force that greater than than us that is is tying those loose strings together. And, and so that's an amazing example of it. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it also amazing that, you know, for all of the negativity that there is out there about social media, look at some of the things that social media is accomplishing. So, um, yeah. so yay for that, right? Yes, and also because I think at the end, I, I, I'm a believer and I feel like God knows the, the path that we need to walk. And sometimes we don't understand. I, and I, before I launched the, the, the soap company, I, uh, when I returned from China, because during my work, uh, as a diplomat, I live uh, in several countries, but my last my last last posts were China, where I lived for eight years. So when I arrived to Venezuela, I find a totally different reality, and I find like even my marriage is was ended, and and I didn't know because I was working. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, in that moment, I feel like. Uh, Oh my God, the country is ruined. My marriage is gone. My work, I need to, to struggle if I stay or if I leave. So those decisions, I suffer a lot. And I, when I now, today, from that purpose, um, uh, standing from that purpose, 
I feel like uh, God had good things for me. Mm. Yeah. I, in that moment, I didn't understand, but I think today I'm mm. very grateful. Mm. And I believe that it's like that. And every and since I arrived to the United States, I arrived with the best friend, my, my, my family here, the Hirsch. Mm-hmm. And they they protect me. They allow me to stay on their home. They provide me anything that to support support me. Then I met Michelle, and then I get to the store where mm-hmm. we work together. Mm-hmm. So every detail, and then that moment, because when I I decided to come to what to DC or near DC. It was because I think, well, this is the ground and I can move because my experience as a diplomat and a professional on the international relation, this is going to be the best. But then I faced the second time. Oh, we, we need to reinvent ourselves mm-hmm. and face that. No, this is not a way to arrive to the country. And mm-hmm. I started to even to clean, uh, to be waitress, to start after me to have two master degree. I have been working as a waitress. I have been working in the hotel. Mm. And I have, I changed, everything changed. I said, well, you have an, a profession that you need to put aside. You have, the, I have the, all the knowledge, but I have to put aside and reinvent myself and believe that the new path that I'm going to walk is going to be holding the hand, the good hands. And my husband, and we walk this path to, to try to find another kind of the development of the trade to, we are doing soap, maybe I cannot be successful, or or maybe or I wish to be successful, or maybe I'm I'm starting little by little, mm-hmm. but I think I I know that I find good person, good people on my way, like you guys, and uh, to help me to 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 work to walk that way or that path better. Mm-hmm. We've talked several times on this podcast about the the difficulty in coming to the United States um, and and translating your previous career to a career in the U.S. You know, we, for example, so our listeners might be familiar with our friend Iman was in a gynecologist in, in her home in the Middle East, and she came to the United States and she was going to have to start her studies completely over, even though she was in her 50s. Right, mom, um, yeah. in order to practice and. There, there's so few up, few um, chances to really translate the career that you had to one that is similar here. And so this this reinvention that you're talking about is is demanded of people who are displaced and come to the United States uh, looking for a new life. And uh, I think that is is sad and unfortunate because, you know, you were incredibly good at what you d- did. And and I, I know in speaking to you that you have really had a heart for diplomacy. But at the yeah. same time, I think it is an indication of 
perseverance and of strength and of passion that you have decided that, you know, okay, this is not the opportunity that I was hoping to have, but it's a new, it's an opportunity nonetheless, an opportunity to reinvent myself. Um, and you bring that same passion and that same perseverance to this new business that you've started to the, uh, the creation of your skincare products. Now, like I said, I, I, I like I'd forgotten, we launched your soaps the first time, sort of initially when you had just arrived to the, the US, they did yeah. quite well, but you had some, you wanted to perfect some things and work on the packaging, et cetera. And so you came to me a few months ago and said, you know, I think it's improved. I'd like you to look at it again. I totally agreed. I thought the product was exceptional. And our clients, our customers apparently agreed with me because uh, sales really performed quite well around the holidays. So yeah. now what we're doing is uh, we are entering sort of a more official relationship with you and your business through the off-ramp to come alongside you and help you understand the American market, understand how to, um, how to market and advertise to this group, to this clientele and, and sort of point you in the direction of resources that you might not be aware of. Mom, I, I wondered if you could chime in because Lupe is kind of one of several people that we are re-entering or entering a new relationship with right now. And we're kind of changing the process of onboarding new projects and new people. Can you speak to that new process and why we made some changes and what it looks like? Sure. So, you know, just to recap, so that people really understand who we are at the off-ramp, we're here to help displaced people, and people can be displaced for a lot of reasons. They can be asylum seekers, they can be refugees, they can be migrants, they can be victims of human trafficking. Um, so people who have been displaced or at risk of displacement, we want them to thrive. Whether they're here, whether they're in their country and at risk, whether they're in a refugee camp, etc. Um, so then the off-ramp has a for-profit subsidiary, Threads by Nomad, and Threads actually helps us facilitate this endeavor by becoming a marketing arm for the creations um, made by those um, that we are engaged with. Um, so we've been really very, very pleased in the last two, let's see, how long have we been going now? Two years and three months? In January, we were two years old. Um, but the reality is that when we began, we had people we were already in relationship with, right? And so we kind of knew where they were. We sort of knew what they were looking for, what they needed. And we just kind of jumped in where they were at. We didn't really put in place the processes that were needed for us to begin taking um, a participant in our program from point A to point B to point C and then to the conclusion of a project. And the other thing we found, because the people we were already engaged with, people that were onboarding with us in the last two years were people, honestly, that we knew and had known for a really long time. And so we kind of knew where they had been. We sort of knew where they wanted to go. Well, about... Uh, let's see, it's been, not, it's been not quite a year, so maybe nine months ago, we became engaged with the Lupton Center out of Atlanta. They helped us uh, do a survey 
that included uh, not only our team, but our stakeholders, our program participants. And one of the things that came out of that was that um, they would like to see more clearly laid out the benchmarks that um, we would uh, try to accomplish with each program participant. So what we've been doing now for the last few months is putting a process in place where when somebody comes on board with us, we, we examine what, what are their abilities, what are their dreams, what are their goals, how can we realistically help them? You know, sometimes somebody might need a grant to purchase some materials. Sometimes they just might need a little bit of help to uh, get off the ground and like a micro loan that they would repay. Sometimes it's like what we're doing with Lupe, which is help her in some of the creation process, maybe just some quality control or some design tips. And then the, the marketing, how can we help her market? And of course that's through Threads by Nomad. Um, so now what we've done is put that in place. Um, also the other thing that we weren't really very specific on, mostly Kristen, because you and I have been doing this. So mm -hmm. everybody we engaged with, um, we, you or I won, were the ones working with them most closely. But we realized there's a lot of really talented people out there who can come alongside these folks and be mentors and um, advisors. And so to begin putting that in place as well. Um, then honestly, because each project has a success point and end point, while threads may remain in relationship with them, um, doesn't necessarily mean that they continue to need the help and services of the off-ramp. Um, and so when that happens, um, the, the project is concluded and, and we can go and bring those services to somebody else. So it's kind of been a major revamp for us after a couple of years of working. One of the things I think I'm most excited about that is that I feel like this is going to give our participants a greater opportunity for success. I feel like that by having this process in place, it's going to help them become thrivers rather than survivors. And the other benefit I feel is that future participants, whoever they may be, will benefit from the experience and the knowledge gained by those such as Lupe who have been engaged with the off-ramp. Um, you know, Lupe's gonna have things that she's gonna learn that then one day she's gonna be able to share with others who, who come behind her. So I think it's uh, setting us all up for success. One of the other things that came out of that survey though, and I've indicated this in past podcasts, is that people who pay attention to what we do with the off-ramp and who support us uh, through gifts and financial donations, they want to better understand the challenges that people face both in their home countries, which you spoke about a little bit, but also the challenges that they face when they come to the United States. What is the experience like here for someone who's not from here? Uh, can you speak to that a little bit, Lupe, from your personal experience? What, what have been the, the biggest challenges that you faced, not just from a business perspective, although that too, but also personally since moving to the United States? Well, really, I... I'm, 
I honestly, my biggest challenge was myself. It sounds crazy, but when you have been successful on your career, and when you know that you are good as a diplomat, I'm like, and uh, when you always has been like an A plus professional and everybody recognize you suddenly because the, the crisis in Venezuela uh, make more than 5,000, 5 million people, so sorry, leave the country that has been a diaspora, amazing, the new age diaspora. And uh, I'm a part of this. Then I feel like uh, I find myself like, uh, oh, you, you know how to do, you know how to work. How, how can you apply to 200 work in the international field and you get nothing? What happened? So I struggle, I cry, I be I depressed, I lied on the bed for weeks on the huge depression. And suddenly I says, no, 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 no. You need to understand that you need to do whatever it needs, it has to be to return to your life, to your smile, to breathe and keep a return to your balance. And it's hard, it's hard because when you are an immigrant, suddenly you, you have an, a small source of, of money. So it says, okay, I cannot pay for the therapist. I need to talk by myself with the wind, with the mirror. Oh, this is like the, we need to understand and, and uh, finance the strengths so when I arrived, I went to the all kind of church, try to find uh, God, oh, but forgetting that it's inside me. That I try to, to my challenges, okay, I need to reinvent myself. I need to try to do, to sell because I know how to sell. I have experience. I, I, have, I have been, uh, been managing an office with, Feasting people uh, and uh, feasty people and doing business. And you know how to do it. Try to relax, breathe, and face the challenges. But then I started to, I produce my, my soap. I, I started to do, well, I'm going to produce my soap. I'm going to produce whatever I know to do and I know how to sell. But suddenly I faced a problem that. Oh my God, nobody looked. I don't have the knowledge, which is the, the people, how they like the product, how is the packaging, how is the. So suddenly I dropped, I, I started to produce so, uh, soap and then I started to struggle with the, how to build the products, how to build the market, how to, uh, and uh, the social media, how to work with the, promotion on the on the web page how to land uh, launch uh, a web page with my product so everything looks like a, oh it looks difficult but again god knows how to do it and here 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 i am with a huge and wonderful relation with you and, and with all of you 
and the launching and you gave me the opportunity to to develop and to have this the and a strong step from forward to to have the the business that I would like to develop because I know that uh, we can we have I have a good product but the way is how to put this product on the market and uh, that looking you help me yeah, we're 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 looking forward to, to helping you because we do believe in you and we believe in your product as well. Uh, you know, it's it's not something that we've ever pointedly addressed, Mom. The the concept, the relationship between mental health and displacement. Um, but I think it's something that we need we need to look at in a, in a future podcast episode um, because I I we so many people that we know when they come to the United States, they suffer such a barrage of, of change and, a, and an identity crisis that leads to mental health uh, difficulties. And, and you're right, Lupe, you, your resources are limited. It's not like you can just go to a therapist. And so I, I do think it's something that we need to talk more about mom in the future. Um, what are your hopes and dreams? Uh, you know, you want to build this business, but but what do you hope for yourself and for your family here in the United States now? I hope to be able to have an, uh, to settle here in the United States, but settle that have a home where my grandchild can visit me, where can I spend time with me? Because I'm, I'm and also to teach another people, to have a team where we can be on a, uh, a replica of what we are doing and even to letting go and when I grow to have a person who able to to keep doing what I'm doing right now so I feel like uh, those are I am starting my golden years so I would like to have the opportunity to build a ground where my family can be reunited again. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I always, I always end with this question. You know, I talked about what are your hopes and dreams in the future. What brings you hope today? I don't understand when they bring to say, what do you bring to hope today? What, what brings you hope today? Uh, what, you know, when you wake up and you today. feel... Today, today? Well, today. Just, just right now, just in general, right now. The sun, the yes. light, yes. the light make me feel like, uh, ah, I need to go out and face the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm from the Caribbean. So for me, the sun, the light, colors make me feel, and the music, I need music. Even of myself, if you notice, I don't know if you notice, I always give name. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I give name for what I feel, how it looks like when I, by example, it's a, a my, one of my first soap is a baby of mine from Gone and Roses. It's a heavy metal song, but that song is the song that I hear when I was pregnant of my baby of my last baby. So that song made me feel because in that moment I have a very difficult pregnancy. So in that moment, that song says, oh, this is the energy that I need. So baby of mine. 
And then the green, green grass of home is a uh, Tonjon sun. So it's like, a, it's the sun that my mom likes to, to see when I was young. So those soap, when I see the result, when they pop out of the mold and I see the result, made me think on something, the Holland tulips. When I had been in the coking half in Holland, mm -hmm. all those tulips are amazing and full of color that even the brighter of the color makes your eyes shine. Uh, uh, so that's is the, the idea. I try to transfer to my product what I feel every day. Mm. Mom, did you want to say something? Well, Lupe, you just have to know that Kuchenhof, uh, and by the way, for our listeners, Kuchenhof is an amazing garden in uh, Holland uh, where they, they have all sorts of bulbs, not just tulips. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. It's one of our very favorite places. And I have a coffee mug right there. Hold on, hold on. I have to get a picture of this. Hold on. <laughs> Don't put it down yet. That's so funny. Okay, I got it. That's so cool. And and yeah. Lupe, when my when my grandchildren are here and they want hot chocolate, they fight over which one is gonna get the flower <laughs> mug. So oh yes, my cook it cook it off is, is a place of great joy. Mm -hmm. Great yes. hope. I, I I went I have been there because I live on, on Belgium for four years mm -hmm. when I was working at the embassy. So for me take the car and drive from the springtime to Holland was a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wasn't it at Kuchenhof, mom, where uh, Asian tourists thought that we were Dutch and started taking pictures of us? So I think it was there, right? So my brother that was, and I- That was our very first trip to, well, it was your first trip. <laughs> Papa and I had been before, but that was your and Brandon's very first trip to Kuchenhof. It was hilarious. So I was like 11 or 12. My brother is about three years younger than me. And at the time I was still a natural blonde. Um, and we, we both had, you know, kind of pale skin and blonde hair. And there was a group of tourists from East Asia that thought that we were Dutch and kept trying to take pictures of us. And they actually like wanted to take pictures with us because we kept trying to say like, no, no, we're American. We're not from here, but they didn't really? care. They, they thought we were Dutch. And, and so now there's a group of you know people in in another part of the world that have pictures of me and my brother with them and we have no idea who they are but um that's my that's my memory of cooking yes but th this is amazing because uh, as an example on china i went to the very tiny tiny towns in in the middle of the big china and uh, the people look at me like a whole like a queen Oh, but suddenly an old lady come, uh, came and touched my skin and touched me and they look at his finger like, uh, oh, he doesn't stain my finger. So I say, oh, she see like I have a pain on my, I have been pained, so I'm brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny. That's too funny. Um, you know, I think one oh. of the things that's really important about the work of the off-ramp is this conversation has just shown us how very small our world is. Yeah, uh, so and and in, in this day when uh, we have so many differences, um, I am reminded of what my friend Kim Wright said last Sunday. Don't let the differences make 
the difference. Yeah. I just think that's so very important for us and a good word for us today. Yeah. Don't make the differences make the difference. I like that too. And I've, since you shared that with me last Sunday, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, well, you told us where you find hope, and I love that it's in color and nature and music, and those are, um, and in art, you know, I think that's one reason that you and I sort of connected because we share many of those same loves. Yeah. And, and why I'm really looking forward to supporting you through the off-ramp in your business and in your endeavor. Uh, I want to let people know that we will be selling and we will continue to sell Lupe's products through threadsbynomad.com. Currently, that is the, the only place to purchase them online, although we are going to be seeking out other outlets for her in the future. And we'll keep you posted about that, too. She has just developed some their sugar scrubs, right, Lupe? Yes. And also... I started this week with the oil moisturizer. Oh my gosh. So, but I'm trying, I'm, because it's very important to know the, 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 the people who sells the, the whole bug. So mm-hmm. we need to certify the people who, to lower the price and to work with this. Yeah. So So we'll keep perfecting that. But uh, we mom and I tested your scrubs last week. We loved them. So we're going to list those on our website as well. You can go to threadsbynomad.com and just search for Lupe, L-U-P-E, and you'll pull up all of the things that she makes. Um, By the time this podcast goes live, I believe I will have all of her spring soaps on our website as well. I have a little bit of photographing to do, but that should coincide. We. so grateful. I remember to see the, the, the look, the name, because the name have meanings. Oh, yes. The names of the soaps. I love the names of the soaps. Um, they're so creative. And and maybe you can do some more storytelling for us in the future and tell us more stories behind the names. Um, I know my, my favorite name is Monday Mood. It's kind yeah. of a, a black and gray soap and it smells amazing, but I, I have started using it on Mondays as, as a mood lifter. So... Um, <laughs> I'm so grateful to you for your time, for your energy, for your willingness to to reinvent yourself and to be open and vulnerable and creative, which, you know, we often don't realize how much vulnerability is required of of creative endeavor, but but it is. And so I'm just grateful for you, for your friendship, for your partnership. And I am really excited for the future and for the future of the off-ramp, but also the future of this partnership. Um, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Off-Ramps podcast. If you were inspired to act during this conversation, you can find us and learn more at theofframp.org or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Helplessness and hopelessness do not have to define your future or the world's. Become a change maker today.